Did you hear the word of God this morning from Psalm 100? And if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 500. Listen to these words from the psalmist so many years ago. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our, our New Testament is also different from your bulletin, but would you turn with me to the book of Second Corinthians? Second Corinthians, um, we're going to be in chapter 4, and uh, it's, if you have a Red Pew Bible, a Maroon Pew Bible, it is um, on page 965. Uh, wow, Scripture is uh, so powerfully speaks to the importance of thankfulness in our lives. Um, but Paul especially understood that. He experienced so much, so many trials, but also so many joys. And he began to understand that it wasn't just about him. That in those very trials and in those very joys, that God was blessing other people as well. And he, he recognized that God had given him a ministry through his brokenness and a ministry through his joy. And he speaks of that in chapter 4. It's a little bit of a long passage, but it's going to get us to our memory verse for today. And so I invite you to follow along as I read. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4 of the second book of Paul to the Corinthians. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, Paul writes, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to participate in cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Isn't that amazing? This, uh, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, Paul writes. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, he writes, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Isn't that amazing? As the servants of those who don't yet no, or those who are just beginning to know Jesus, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, Paul says, have this treasure in jars of clay, in other words, fragile vessels, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
We are persecuted, but not, uh, excuse me, forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in ourselves the body of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So here's the summary. Paul's saying, death is at work in us. Don't be surprised. But life is at work in you. So since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. Look at this. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Would you say that verse 15 with me? For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the word of God. Mm. Wow. Isn't it interesting how, how Paul is tying together several really profound concepts, deep concepts. Now, I have a little bit of a fear of it because... Because the words are so familiar, like glory and grace, that, that we kind of don't hear them anymore. We kind of forget that they're powerful words that, that, that change hearts and redirect the trajectories of people's lives. Uh, and so I just want to invite you to open your eyes today to what God is doing in our midst. Open your ears to his word and, and, and let's begin this holy day season uh, in a true spirit of thanksgiving. What do you think of when you think of, of Thanksgiving Day. I, I just marvel because every family has its own unique things, don't they? Everyone has their little traditions and stuff, and it's so cool. Because, because every year you get to remember when you come back and do those things again. And, and some of them are kind of unusual. I mean, I, probably several of our, us, our, our minds went to a dinner at table together with people that we love and care about. Did that happen for you? And maybe you're even smelling turkey right now and it's driving you nuts, Right. I've never figured out the cranberry sauce thing, but I'll, I'll leave that to when I get to glory and Jesus will explain it to me. But, but for, for many people, it's, it's sitting at table together. For other people, it's football. Let's be honest, right? Let's be honest, it's football. And I think a couple of teams in particular that play, uh, um, we are going to have a time of confession immediately after the worship service for any of you that are Dallas fans or Detroit fans. No, seriously, I, we had a dear friends of ours. We, when I first came, every Thanksgiving we would go down to Nashville, Tennessee, and they would play Monopoly. That was their family tradition. Capitalism on Thanksgiving, isn't it amazing? I'm still mad because I could never win Monopoly to save my life. I could never win that game. But, but Thanksgiving means a lot of different things to us. A lot of us are taken back in our minds to to Massachusetts maybe in Plymouth Rock and people in funny clothes with belts around their hats or something, right? And, um, and we remember the little flannel graph, the little flannel graph pictures of, of pilgrims on that day. Thanksgiving does go back 
It reminds us of how the Lord delivered some of the earliest settlers to the United States. But really, it goes back much farther than that, doesn't it? For the Christian, the deepest roots of our thanksgiving go far beyond Plymouth Rock, which, by the way, is just a little, little rock. It's not what you would think. Or even to the old world, back to Europe, and, and the amazing courage of people who sought a new life where they could have freedom to worship God as they desired. Now, this story goes back much farther. It goes all the way back to 2,000 years ago in many thousand miles away. That was ground zero for redemption. It goes back, doesn't it, to, to the cross. But then when you think about it, it goes back further than that. It goes back to the life that Jesus lived before the cross. Why? Because, because something had been broken and someone needed to live a life to fix it, and Jesus did. So in a sense, this goes way back beyond even the cross and, and even uh, New Testament uh, uh, Israel to, to creation itself. Right? This, this story goes all the way back to creation. And it's a story that keeps on, on right into the presence, giving meaning and context to our experience, giving meaning and context to our relationships, giving and meaning and context to our lives. You could call this the true story of salvation, couldn't you? Or you could, you could call it the Christian gospel viewed through a lens that the world has so undervalued the lens of the simple thing called Gratitude. Today, I just want to invite you. I, I, the reason we have different scriptures, there, this, the totality of scripture speaks about how important this issue is. Many of you in Sunday school went back and reminded ourselves of what we studied last year at this time. How we saw in Psalm 100 that that um, that the first step of moving closer into the presence of God, the gate, the very gate of relationship with God is this issue of thanksgiving. And as we saw just a few moments ago, the second step is to move now beyond what God has done for us and our thankfulness for that to who he really is, to begin to praise him for his nature and character. The psalmist writes, enter his courts with praise, right? He's gradually wooing us and drawing us into the very holy of holies where through the blood of Jesus Christ we can enter into the very presence of God. Well, let me say it differently. Where we can live in the very presence of God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's go back and, and, and ask ourselves some important questions. What is this thing called thanksgiving? It's interesting because it's not just a Christian thing. The, the secular world recognizes it as well. Did you know there are experts on Thanksgiving? I, I didn't. There's a guy named Robert Ammons who is perhaps the world's leading scientific expert on gratitude. And, and, and from a secular, completely secular perspective, he talks about the benefits of of gratitude. Now, now watch what he says, because he's coming from a completely secular perspective. First, he writes, it's an affirmation of goodness. Thanksgiving is an affirmation of goodness. We affirm that there are good things in the world, that there are gifts and benefits that, here it is, we've received. We've received. And the second part, he says, 
the second part of gratitude is that we recognize that the sources of this goodness are outside of ourselves. He's not coming from a perspective of faith. But he writes these words. The sources of that goodness are outside of ourselves. We acknowledge that someone else... Now, if you're a follower of Christ, we know exactly who that someone is, don't we? But even from a secular perspective, we acknowledge that someone else has given you gifts. And I didn't make this up. This is what he wrote. Gifts and benefits you didn't deserve. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this was written 30 years ago, and it could have been written after last night's news. Uh, Couldn't it? This issue of deserving is right on the front pages of our, of our newspapers, right? It's, I'm going to suggest to you that this is a, a lie of our culture, that we deserve everything. Right? Maybe, those of us who are boomers, maybe we created this by wanting everything for our loved ones, but, I, but the lie of our culture is that coming out of the womb, we deserve everything that anyone ever had, and, and every blessing and benefit that anyone ever experienced. The fundamental difference, the fundamental difference between self-centeredness and God-centeredness is this issue of deserving. Self-centeredness says, I deserve it, right? Or, or, or maybe even, I earned it, right? Some of you just went back to a commercial many years ago. I earned it. God-centeredness says, if I deserve anything, it's death. If I deserve anything, I deserve the natural consequences of my own self-centeredness or sin. But here's the reality, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, yet but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The grace of God, if you will, is eternal life freely given to undeserving people. Surely, Completely and totally out of love, out of God's love for us. God has granted me the consequences of Jesus' right relationship. Jesus took upon himself the consequences of my sin. Now I get to experience a relationship with God, eternal life. It's interesting that another a secular sociologist, George Simmel, called gratitude the moral memory. Isn't that interesting? The moral memory of humankind. I call it remembering what God has done in Jesus Christ. So two words are really helpful. You've heard them already, both of them, but I want to unpack them just a little bit more so you can see the, the roots of these words. Um, the first one is this, gratitude. It comes from the Latin word uh, gratia, right? Uh, uh, theologians in our, in our midst might remember that solo gratia, right? What is that? By grace alone we are saved. And, and the word gratitude comes from the Latin word for grace, isn't that? Or unmerited, undeserved favor. Wow, wow. The deeper implication of this gratitude is that you are in someone's debt, right? You are in someone's debt. Something good has happened that you did not earn or deserve, and and something just happens here. It just wells up within you, this resulting, I'm going to call it an emotion. Sometimes it's an emotion, sometimes it's a, a thought process. But this emotion of gratitude wells up within you. 
one of the really, really fun things of the holy days is doing random acts of kindness and love for people who don't see it coming and often can't tell where it came from and just watching people's hearts soften when maybe just a, a, a kindness that's left on their front porch or, or somebody in my neighborhood keeps, uh, keeps sucking up my leaves in my front yard and I accused my neighbor of it and, and, uh, and he said, I, I, I was going to accuse you of it. I thought you were doing it. I said, no, I, I thought you were doing it. Somebody is tiptoeing all the way down into our cul-de-sac. Is it one of you? Tiptoeing all the way down into our cul-de-sac and sucking up leaves. I actually think it might be now, since it's not my neighbor. There's a pastor that lives way down the street. He's retired, and, and, and he limps as he walks, but he still sucks up leaves with his, with his mower. I don't know who it is, but all I know is that it just, there's this little emotion that wells up in me. Wow. Wow. Now, it's different than the emotion I feel when I pay eight bucks to get my car washed, right? Um, I don't feel that same emotion for the guy there with a the hose in the front because I'm, I'm paying for it, right? Something about grace is that you didn't deserve it and you didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. That's, that's what this word gratitude means, this response to grace. I said earlier, your, your soul is, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And sometimes your mind has to lead your will, even when your emotions don't want to do it. But sometimes your emotions, just out of response for grace, lead your will as well. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. We're not just intellectual Christians. We are people that feel as well. That's kind of picked up in the second word, too. It's one you're much more familiar with. Uh, I'm going to translate it, thanksgiving, in English. But the word, this is going to surprise some of you. The word is actually eucharisteo, or eucharist. Have you heard that word before? Some of you are looking up here at the table going, yeah, I've heard that word before. We call this, this um, remembrance ceremony that we're going to do here in a few minutes the Lord's Supper. We call it Holy Communion. Both of those are totally appropriate. But it has another name, doesn't it? Eucharist. Eucharist. And, and, and that literally means, in English, that means thanksgiving. That we remember, we come to the table of the Lord and we remember what God has done for us. And, and we, we, through the partaking of Jesus' body represented by the bread and his blood represented by the, um, by the cup, we, we bring that, that grateful heart, we bring it into our own bodies, we bring that grace into our, into our lives as well. As Presbyterians, we believe that there is spiritual strength sitting on that table. We believe that there's the spiritual presence of Christ in these elements as we bless them and set them apart. It's slightly different than a couple of other faiths. We all are trying to understand this together. But my point is to say there's something very real that happens when you, by faith, remember Jesus in this table, uh, this, this thanksgiving table, this Eucharist. Now, I printed in your, in your bulletin the word several times, not because I was holding down the repeat key or something, but because in that word, Eucharisteo is another word. Do we have it? Maybe I didn't stick it in there. There it is. In the middle of that is this word charis, right? That's, that's the Greek word for grace. That's the Greek word for grace. In fact, the 
EU on front of it um, is it means good. And so in a sense, you could translate Thanksgiving as good grace. And we say grace, don't we, at the table before we eat. What do we mean? We're recognizing thankful hearts. We're recognizing God's grace in providing not just the food on the table, but all his many blessings. So built into the English word for Thanksgiving is this Greek concept of grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. But it goes further. And and some of you have done this journey with me before. In the word grace or carice is this word C-H-A-R or car. You've got to kind of spit when you say it. Car. And, and that is the word, do you remember? The word for joy. The word, the Greek word for joy. So here in the center of our thanksgiving is grace. And that's what we're, that's what we're thankful for. But at the very root of grace is God's joy in giving himself for us and our joy in experiencing him in that table, the same kind of thing that several of us emotionally felt when I first said Thanksgiving. A lot of our traditions have a, have a distant echo of, of that spiritual reality, even in a, a human or emotional reality of Thanksgiving at table with our loved ones. Wouldn't it be cool, beloved? Wouldn't it be cool if at this Thanksgiving we were able to bring those things together? They were able to bring all the wonderful traditions that have been a part of our Thanksgiving Holy Day and, and bring Christ into that. Bring his unmerited favor, his grace. Seek joy in the table of the Lord, sharing the, the table with other people. So that's the roots of it, gratitude. Both the Latin and the Greek both focus on the grace of God. That's really important for us. So what is Thanksgiving? It's, it's a search for joy through the grace of Jesus Christ given freely for us. Why be thankful? Now, I'm going to alternate back and forth today between there are just purely human benefits of being thankful. And it's really funny that, that um, secular uh, sociology and psychology completely supports what we know to be true from the Bible. Why be thankful? Because it benefits you. It benefits you. There's been hundreds, literally hundreds, of stories about the difference between someone who is thankful and someone who is not. And and this research suggests that the benefits are available to anyone who practices gratitude. So if you're not a follower of Christ and you're with us here today, you can't quite take that step of faith yet to put your weight down completely on Christ. Know that there's benefits from being thankful. Just pure human benefits. What are they? I, I wanted to list them in the bulletin for you, but, but um, I only get two pages, and so I couldn't fit them all in there. So I'm going to stream through them, but if you'd like to see them, just, uh, just come up to me afterwards. Gratitude brings people happiness. It brings people happiness. The more you practice gratitude, the happier... Now, we remember, we're looking for more. We're looking for joy beyond happiness, even. The happier... You will be. On the flip side, gratitude reduces anxiety and depression. Why? Because it's hard to think about two things at once, right? It's hard to think about everything that's going wrong. It's hard to carry the weight of our brokenness while we're thanking God for something, while we're being grateful for something. Gratitude has amazing physical benefits. It's good for our bodies. It, it, it strengthens the immune system. Isn't that amazing? It lowers blood pressure. It reduces symptoms of illness. It makes us less bothered by aches and pains. It encourages us to exercise more and take better care. Isn't that amazing? Just wholly apart 
from all the spiritual benefits of it. I'm not done yet. These test results show that gratitude helps people sleep better. It helps them become more resilient. In in special tests with people experiencing post-traumatic stress syndrome, it actually brings amazing benefits and helps veterans recover from it. Gratitude strengthens relationships, just like that dynamic you sensed when I said Thanksgiving, you sense loved ones around your table. It makes us feel closer and more committed to friends, to, to family, to people who sit at table with us. It makes us more satisfied in those relationships. Gratitude, they found, promotes forgiveness, even between people experiencing, anticipating divorce. You can't be thankful and hate someone at the same time. Gratitude is amazing. Grateful people are more helpful. They're more altruistic. They're more compassionate. And gratitude helps your family, your children in particular, feel closer to their family, feel closer to their community. So holy apart, if there were not this huge spiritual blessing from gratitude, it would be worth it just from a human perspective. But that's just scratching the surface, beloved. It not only benefits you, it glorifies God. It glorifies God. Did you hear that in that Second Corinthians? It increases God's glory. How, why, why would it do that? Why would gratitude give glory somehow to God? Because God created you for gratitude. You exist You exist to appreciate God. He created you to honor Him by by giving Him thanks. It sounds funny, but He knows that what we really need is to recognize our boundaries. He knows that what we really need is to recognize that we're not sufficient in and up to ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves. Certainly we need each other, but more than even that, we need Him. Appreciating both who God is and His actions for us and creating and sustaining our lives is fundamental, fundamental to proper human life in God's creation. So I'm going to put it succinctly like this. God created humanity for gratitude. In other words, you exist to appreciate God. Well, where am I going and, and drawing this from? Well, certainly all the way through. Psalm 100, 2 Corinthians. But in Romans 1, we see an interesting passage, a passage about what's gone wrong in the world. Many of you, when you think of Romans 1, you know that, um, that Romans 1 is God's indictment against the self-centeredness of the world. But Paul also, in Romans 1, gives us a glimpse of the place of gratitude, or the place of appreciation in, in creation. This is what he says in Romans 1.21. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. Or, look at that, give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Isn't that amazing? Well, I mean, get real, Pastor David. You're saying that ingratitude... Ingratitude is the reason? Well, yes. Yes, humanity, if you borrow for a moment my supposition that humanity was uh, created to appreciate God, ingratitude was not far away in creation, was it? We had two wonderful chapters of gratitude. God created the most beautiful creation where, where people's every need was met. 
even that beautiful recognition that to completely represent God, that, that we need both that, that man and that woman, that husband and that wife, they became one and, and were glorifying God. But what happened right after that? Well, well, what happened was the same thing that happened sometime uh, way before creation. Um, we don't know for sure, but it looks like Isaiah describes that process uh, in, in, in a kind of obtuse passage, Isaiah describes Satan's fall from grace. And, and what happened there? God created these angels, these messengers, to carry the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ to creation, right? To carry the, the treasure of God's sovereignty to creation, but there was there was one of these created beings, a messenger, and angel literally means messenger, uh, who that was not enough for, right? That was not enough for, and that messenger, who we know as by many names, Satan or the devil or Beelzebub, that messenger wanted to be like God, right? And and fell from grace and took a third of all the created angels with him in that regard, right? And then, son of a gun, he shows up in the garden, right? And he leads Adam and Eve to the very same struggle that he faced. He says, did God really say that? What is he doing? He's inviting them to believe that God is not sufficient, that all that God has and, and has given to us is not enough. And they, and they begin to think that, wow, wow, if I eat of this fruit, then, then, which looks really inviting, then, then despite God telling me not to do that, my eyes will be opened. Well, well, think about it for a second. Were Adam and Eve's eyes open? They were open before, but all they could see before was goodness, right? All they could see was glory. All they could see before was God's gracious provision for them. So in a sense, Satan was right. Their eyes would be open. But what were they open to? They were open to brokenness and pain and sin and, and disobedience and suffering. Uh, what, what Satan said really came true. Their eyes were open to something that God never intended for them to experience. He knew they would experience it, but he never intended for them to experience. So, so gratitude, God, God has given us gratitude as this hedge against the evil one, as this hedge against sin, right? We've all failed miserably in appreciating God as we should, but, but few people have been able to wrap their heart and mind around it as well as a woman named Anne Voskamp. I'm not sure you've ever read her stuff. I was reading her book, 1,000 Gifts, which is a book about gratitude. And and says this, From all of our beginnings, we keep reliving the garden story, she writes. Satan wanted more, more power, more glory. Ultimately, in his essence, Satan is an ingrate. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that word, ingrate? What is it? It's an ungrateful person, right? Satan is the ultimate ingrate, and he sinks his venom into the heart of Eden. Satan's sin becomes the first sin of all humanity, the sin of ingratitude. Adam and Eve are simply, painfully, ungrateful 
for what God gave. And that, she writes, became the catalyst for all sin. I think most of my life, I have in my mind is structured this idea that pride is the greatest of sins, right? And certainly you can attribute pride to the evil one as well. But what was the door, the door by which we've, we succumb to pride? God's word is saying it is ungratefulness, a lack of gratefulness. Anne writes this, our fall was and has always been and always will be that we're not satisfied in God and what he gives. We hunger for something more, something other. So it glorifies God through this whole gospel story that we were created for gratitude, but we fell. Gratitude was our hedge against sin, but we fell. But the the great news of the gospel is that we also are redeemed by thanksgiving. Now, some of you go, wait a second, I'm redeemed by Jesus Christ. Yes, you're absolutely right. But what was it about Jesus Christ? He lived the perfectly thankful and grateful life. And I don't know if you've ever done it, but if you go back in Scripture and and begin to look and, and see how many times Jesus thanked the Father right in front of everybody else... It's just amazing. I, I think I might have noted in your bulletin, I had me take it out because it was filling up our whole screen here, but Matthew 11, uh, Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you've revealed them to little children. In the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, he says, I thank you, Father, that you have heard me. He's grateful that God heard him. God says, okay, we're going to raise him from the dead. Speak the words, Jesus. In Matthew 15, 36, also several other Gospels where it's repeated, Jesus takes seven loaves and fish and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and God fed upwards of 20,000 people from the gratefulness of Jesus Christ. And then in Luke 22, one of the precursors to the Lord's table, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, (laughs) wait a second, Isn't this the cup that he just prayed about the night before? Isn't this the cup that he said, let this cup pass from me, right? Isn't this the cup of his suffering that is to come? Absolutely. And I would like to say to you, I am there. I am not. I am not. And I know some of you are. I know that some of you had to go through untold suffering. Many of you in the last days even. And, and to be able to thank God for that. Ephesians will say, Paul will say later, thank God in every circumstance. To thank God even in the midst of the pain, trusting that He is faithful, trusting that He is doing something even more wonderful than you could even imagine. That's a special grace. That's an amazing grace that God offers to us as well. So whether you're in a period of of unbridled joy or or a period of untold suffering, I encourage you, trust God and give thanks in even that circumstance. Why? Because because Jesus, the the God-man who came to redeem what Adam and Eve did to live the perfect life, he was thankful as well. Jesus is not only God, but he's quintessentially a thankful human being as well. The God-man not only died to forgive us our failures, 
but to give God the thanks that He's due, to live the perfect life of appreciation on our behalf, on our behalf. And what did that do? When Jesus lived the perfect life of gratefulness to God that we couldn't live, it freed us, beloved. It freed us from the weight of all of our brokenness, all the brokenness that has gone before, the brokenness of the world around us, and even the brokenness of our culture around us, the the brokenness of our globe, of our creation, of His creation as well. When Jesus lived that perfect life, He broke the power of sin and disease and death over us and over creation. So we are freed. We are free for thanksgiving. For thanksgiving. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed from our ingratitude. We're freed from the eternal penalty of hell. But we're freed also to enjoy the pleasure of being doubly thankful for God's favor toward us. What do I mean doubly thankful? Not only as His creation, but also as His redeemed. He created us for thanksgiving and He redeemed us for gratefulness. So it is so fitting, beloved, for us as Creatures, and it sounds so odd for me to say that, but creatures are literally created ones, right? For us as creatures to be in a continuous posture of gratitude toward our Creator. And it's even more appropriate that, that and fitting for us as redeemed rebels to, to take this position of gratitude toward the One who saved us. So the Apostle Paul, I mean, all of Scripture, screams... Be grateful. But the Apostle Paul writes a book about it called Colossians. And in Colossians 1, uh, verses 11 and 12, he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. A chapter later in 2, 6-7. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk like Jesus, not like an Egyptian, right? Walk like Jesus, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. Again, a chapter later in, in Colossians 3. You get a hat trick out of this one. Watch for it three times. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? What is the word of God screaming to us? Only, beloved, only in Jesus are we able to become the persistently thankful people that God created us to be. Only in Jesus. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. Several people trembled when I said, I'm going to tell you how to vote. Not who to vote for, but how to vote a few weeks ago. I can tell you today, I know the will of God for you. I know the will of God for you. You ready for it? Be thankful. Be thankful. This 
is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, there's a big question right there, and we'll get to it fast. How can I be thankful? How can I? There's all kinds of little tools, and I need them. Honestly, I need them. Uh, I'm a relational person, not a structured person. I need tools to help me do that. You may be a person that's naturally grateful, uh, or you may be like me and need those tools. You can just just write them down. Keep a gratitude journal, right? Recording three to five things that you're grateful for every day or every week or every month. Just remind yourselves of that. I shared with you many years ago that when I first tried to do this, I was challenged to write down 25 things I was thankful for. I got like three. And then I was thanking God for the air and for the grass and for all those kinds of things, right? What did that say? It said that I'm, I haven't cultivated a heart of gratitude. Um, keep a journal. Write down what you're thankful for. See, see the testament as those, as those journal builds up, right? Another way of doing that is to think about, about um, a, a letter, when, when you're grateful for something that someone has done, write them a letter. Maybe it's an important person in your life who you've never thanked. There's something that happens. And, and the secular research even, even uh, sustains this. The, there's something that happens when, when we write down what we're thankful for and when we send that to someone. By the way, it just brings amazing depth to that relationship as well. Keep a gratitude journal. Write a, write a gratitude letter. Think about, think about um, the ways that God has blessed you richly and, and, and bless other people with that as well. Now, sliding from just activities that you can do to um, spiritual disciplines that you can do. Um, remember that concept of meditation was to ruminate on something to ruminate, to think about it, to mull it over in your minds. I challenged you who are vulnerable to worry. You're mulling something over in your mind. Why not mull over in your mind something good instead? The, the idea is that as you, as you ruminate on it, you savor, you savor it. Savor the good in your life. Don't just gloss over the beauty and pleasures that come your way. I think about the other night on the, on the super moon that happened. Did you get a chance to see that? Um, you know, how can that be? <laughs> you know, I don't quite understand this. I know there's some reflection and magnification, but really, did it come that much closer to us that it seemed to kind of jump off the out of the sky? For did you just did you just stop and 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 savor the beauty? I'm noticing that as I get older, I've, I just have I've climbed onto several websites that send beautiful pictures. National park sites do that. They Instagram me um, beautiful pictures, and I, I just collect them. And they're, they're high-quality pictures, and I, I can just open them up on my screen and, and see the beauty. Savor. Savor the good in your life. So cultivate an attitude of gratitude, but, but recognize the giver of every good gift as well. James 1 says this, don't be deceived. I wanted to include this verse because it ties back with our Genesis experience. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is saying, recognize the giver of every good gift. Do it in prayer. Risk that conversation. Just like a few moments ago, many of you are not comfortable praying 
much less speaking, speaking, much less praying in, in public, but you risked it. You, you hung it out there, maybe because you felt safer because our eyes were closed or something, but, but when you did, you were blessed, and so were many other people. Recognizing your prayer life, Recognize the goodness of God. What he has done, certainly be thankful, but for who he is as well. Give him praise. But what is the real test of a grateful heart? What is, what is the real test that we are being transformed into thankful people? How you live your life with others. In our Bible studies this morning, many of you were asked that question, what's the difference, Right? between thanksgiving, which is occasional, thanksgiving, which can be very intentional, and thanksgiving, pardon the pun here and everything, but to say, what difference does this make as you go back to your workplace, as you go back to your home? Are you living a life that reflects your gratitude toward God? Let it be an expression of your life to others. Recognize the giver of all good gifts, but, but, but very specifically, pay it forward. If you believe it, If you believe God to be the giver of every good gift, speak it, speak, speak it, right? Uh, Tell somebody about it. Proclaim his goodness and grace to others. Right? Here's our verse again, our memory verse. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Do you see the relationship between those three things? As you share God's grace with other people, they can't help it either. They will naturally be uh, grateful. And as you help them understand where that grace comes from, uh, they will naturally be grateful to God. And it will increase their thanksgiving and God will be glorified in it. God will be glorified. And we're going to be speaking in the, about Christmas in the, in the weeks ahead and the glory of God come to earth. But you don't have to wait until then. You can increase the, the level that people are glorifying God by, by presenting grace to them and watching. You'll see it. You'll see it. Watching as, as they respond to it. Do you remember? I think it was you, Marianne, um, in the sanctuary, we were studying John 8. And, and we, John 8 is a study of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. That was not the you, by the way, Marianne. Marianne graciously agreed to be our victim. I, is, am I making this up? Do you remember that? Yeah, you remember it. She remembers it because you were all standing there with rocks. Right? You were all standing there reenacting John 8 with rocks. And I thought at that time, as they were holding it, Marianne, I thought, ooh, if this goes bad, this could really be bad. And we all know that story that Jesus spoke into the heart of those who were ungracious, who were, who were ready to condemn that woman. And it said, beginning with the wisest, beginning with the oldest, the rocks began to fall. And, and they, maybe shamed into it, began to offer grace to that woman. And, and Jesus bent down and looked her in the face and said, where are those that condemn you? Where are they? And, and, and she said, they're gone. They're nowhere gone. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And in that act of grace, redeemed another person. How can you 
extend grace. I'm okay. I don't have to say anything right here because the Holy Spirit's speaking. Holy Spirit's prompting you of ungracious tensions in your life in places where you can extend the grace of Jesus Christ to someone you and you alone uniquely can offer that grace. I beg you. I implore you. If you believe it, speak it. Offer it to those who desperately need it. And God will take care of the rest. Gratitude will well up in their hearts and their lives like the woman in, in John 8. Their lives will be forever different. Well, lastly, I just invite you to regularly, I knew I'd have trouble with that word, regularly remember what God has done. And he kind of built in something for us to help us do that. He gave us this meal, right? And, and some, some sacraments, some holy moments that God invites us into are once for all kind of moments. But this one's not. And, and I may be stretching this a little bit. We, we are uh, together entering or uh, coming to the Lord's table. But, but I, I just want to invite you. You can come to this table any point in your heart, at any point, at any time. You can, can commune with Jesus and He with you. Remember Revelation 3? I stand at the door, knock, and if anyone hears and opens the door, I will come in and commune with Him or her and they with me, right? Today I invite you to come to the Lord's table, to the Eucharist to this table of thanksgiving and with gratitude in your heart for, for the many blessings that we shared earlier, but also especially with gratitude in your heart for what Christ has done to, to receive grace in your time of need. And I'm confident of this, that as we do that, if we genuinely do that with open hearts, gratitude is just going to well up in our hearts. And God is going to be glorified. So let's glorify Him together today. Amen? God, thank You for this table. Thank You that long before we were ever conscious of it, it was already waiting for us. That that You have tapped into something very deep in us. You have tapped into this reality, uh, God, that we need to be together and we need to be grateful together. And so together, God, we come to this table of the Lord and we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. God, we thank you for your love, which made Jesus incarnate to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserved, and God, to free us for the rest of our lives to live thankfully in your presence. Take this simple bread, would you? Make it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper Take this simple bread and may we remember in it the body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for us. God, wash us, would you? Wash us and make us clean. We are sinful people. And, and it's easy for us to get overwhelmed by our sin and to defend it. But God, we thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So take this simple juice, would you? And make it the sacrament of the Lord's blood. Fill it with your spiritual presence, Jesus, so that we might find grace in our time of need here at the Lord's table. And God, we will give you praise. We will give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you are serving today, would you come forward and join me up front?